Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. We are here in December. It is the holiday season. So we are bringing you some holiday joy with some forgotten Christmas specials. This week, uh, of course, I am your host, Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic, and with us as often, Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? Ho, ho, hoes. <laughs> well, there's actually ho, ho in one of these films, and with us again is Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Nate, I, I tell you every time, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> it's online. I don't think that the restraining order applies. Uh, Mandy, Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? I'm good, but I, I was looking for the Scrooge's Anonymous meeting. Is this not it? <laughs> it is not. It is not. I think you're, you're going to run into a whole new set of problems. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I, I'm really excited for this because uh, for December 2020, the end of our first uh, official year as a fully functioning podcast, I wanted the entire month to be uh, various weird forgotten uh, or, or beloved, but kind of twisted holiday films. And I think that this first episode of the month really fits the bill. We have 1985's The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, which is based mostly on uh, a, a short story uh, uh, by Frank L. Baum called The Same Thing. And of course, he is the author of Wizard of Oz and the, the many Wizard of Oz related books. And then we have 19, I believe it's 1977's A Cosmic Christmas, which is a, a 22 to 26 minute, depending on your version, uh, short by Nelvana Animation, the Canadian animation group. And I just can't wait to talk about both these films. So we're going to jump right in. The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. Now, especially if you look at the cover for like the VHS copy of this, and I believe there actually has been, I don't know if it's still in circulation, a DVD copy. It's sort of, you've got like a young boy talking to a little elf. It is stop motion animation, which is of course very well known in the Christmas holiday specials, but with the Frosty the Snowman and uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and such. This one there is there are several reasons why I think this one is not as well known, despite being a pretty big production for a stop motion animated film. It's about 50 minutes and uh, the plot, you're going to have to take a seat for this one if you know Santa Claus's story, because it pretty much, Frank Obama tosses the whole thing out the window. 
Um, there are a group of immortal creatures who live in a veritable Garden of Eden that is basically Africa without the black people. There's like elephants and lions and uh, lots of white creatures. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can really find a reason for the whitewashing of uh, the, the cradle of life here, but that's what we're looking at. Um, and these immortals are the great Ak, which is a, a, a forestry god of some kind. He has this big, cool tree headpiece. And then we have um, a bunch of elves of various names. I don't remember the names. There are a lot of creatures. There's uh, the, the demon of the wind spirits or something who he looks kind of like a fall leaf and he has like uh, wind passing out from underneath his robe at all times, which is leads to the inevitable gas jokes. And it's really, it's sort of like Santa Claus a la Lord of the Rings. There's, but it mixes a bunch of other stuff in there. It's like Jungle Bookie because Santa Claus is um, found as a human baby. And then Ak gives him to a mountain lion who lives inside of a tree to raise. But then one of the like wood nymph creatures uh, wants to know what it's like to raise a child because they don't have children. And so she steals the baby and then they co-parent with the mountain lion and then Klaus, as they name him, grows up and uh, Ak says, now uh, I'm gonna show you how terrible people are and then I'm gonna make you live in the mortal world because you're a person. And I'm uh, like- can we, can we rewind a little bit and just, yes. um, the, the wood spirit, I believe, asked the like king of the forest or whatever, what is a baby? And then he proceeds to, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, mansplain their entire existence to her. <laughs> he does. <laughs> So, mm -hmm. so here's yes. the thing, they have a round table, right? And, and around a tree stump kind of thing. And the great Ack, uh, who is, is voiced by Alfred Drake, who is a big theater star in the 50s, um, was it did, I mean, I, all the big shows. I mean, Macbeth and uh, uh, Marco Polo production, big things. Did a little bit of TV before his death. He has a great voice. He does this guy's voice. And the great Ack is about 30 feet tall, if I can go by everyone else's height. And... He is the ultimate old white guy. He does all the explaining. He makes all the decisions that no one second guesses for any reason whatsoever. Um, and he's sort of the benevolent God, although this whole thing just takes any theology known to man and throws it in a wood chipper. Um, but yeah, he's like, they're like, what's a baby? And they're like, the mortals like raised from a little one and then they grow up to be an adult and then they die. And then existence is futile and here's this thing that's hilarious which is he says we have always been as we are and it like goes around the table and you're like wait you've always been an old person like you've always been like a toothless hag you've always been like a weird jailbait elf like is the it is the most insane like how can you be as you are yet clearly be aged it made no sense um no sense so okay there's a lot more to this story. So uh, Santa is not yet Santa. His name is Claus because that, what does that mean? Does anybody remember? They said in the forest um, realm, it means something like, one, I believe it's something like that. It's some, some, yeah. it, it reminded me of like when you'd go to the fair and you'd be able to get like the, the, the little plaque picture of your name with each letter um, saying like, you know, N is for, I don't know. Uh, new or something if it was not very helpful we're um, out of license plates in the gift shop 
<laughs> right. So they so Santa he goes to the edge of the forest with his elf friend who we're just going off the rails here, but he lives with this elf friend until his dying day. I can only assume that they are a couple. Um, his elf friend is, which is great, but his elf friend is like the, the lexicon. Like he can speak every language from like all the languages of the man to like his own, which sounds kind of like a dial up modem to birds and things like that. And then he brings him to the edge of the forest and it's the, like the laughing land and it's an ice strewn snow land uh called like ho ha ho is that what it's something like that i think it's ho ho ha ha or something ho, ho, ha, ha. yeah so it's like the laughing valley or something like that so and claus has never seen snow and he's like this is amazing we're gonna live here and so they set up a shanty shack and then the next morning um the people of the forest have built him like this beautiful like house and i guess this village sort of builds around him as he ages um and then he ends up apparently creating toys like there's never been a toy before although it is very clear that the time during which this is happening is like the middle ages uh because they because they will talk about it um and so i guess i'm pretty sure toys existed before then they're definitely dolls existed and they mentioned that but no he coins them okay so this village has grown up he's now a charming old fat guy and he starts building toys for the local kids and then it goes to the point where like he's building them for everyone and the forest spirits end up helping him we're going to talk about some other things in there because i'm not kidding when i tell you this movie has a lot of crazy shit in it the first thing i want to talk about though is we get very little montages of him like actually aging um at the beginning obviously he's a baby right and then he is fairly quickly thereafter like a little boy with suspenders kind of you know sort of a I don't know, like a Swedish Russo costume going on. Um, and he's of course like the, 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 the white European Mowgli, you know, like he's having fun with all the immortals and the nature kids and stuff. And then um, we get one shot of him after he's gone to the Iceland where he is like a Chris Hemsworth, like not as jacked, but he has this perfect like trimmed beard and he's like, and he's happy and smiling and the village people are smiling. And we get that he's like, one he's like bicep curling a kid or something. Like, <laughs> it's like he, looks, yep. he looks like, like, oh wow, he grew up to be, and then the next shot, like 10 seconds, not even 10 seconds. That's the only, he's no lines in that shot. He has turned into a literal ball with no neck. Like he goes from like Adonis to like five foot four diabetes sufferer in really let himself go one transition um and and there's no explanation whatsoever so i thought that was interesting um as i said he he lives with this other elf who does a little bit of comic relief um i I also basically there's so much that just happens because okay now he's at this place oh the next thing happens like there's no real rhyme or reason there's nothing in his past that causes his future sort of thing but basically, he runs afoul of um, the Ogwai, which uh, they don't, they, they make children do bad things. And so they don't want him giving toys to the children of the world or this world, because um, if they're happy, they can't make them do these bad things. And these things are terrifying. For the kids that were scared, uh, like my wife's terrified of when she was little, the abominable snowman in Rudolph. Uh, these guys are straight up Lord of the Rings. Like they're orcs that are blue with like tusks coming out of their lips. 
and um, they have these like metal belts, like they'd be right next to that like oversexed He-Man action figure, you know, like um, <laughs> with a leather belt. Um, so he keeps trying, Santa keeps trying to get the toys to the, to the children, but these Ogwai keep uh, jumping him essentially and his crew and stealing all the tolls and toys and pulling, pouring them in their caverns. So the solution to this, because Santa's nonviolent, he was horrified uh, by humans' violence, is the great Ack, the tree guy, comes in and is essentially like, uh, I don't want to do this, but I don't have to kill all these motherfuckers. Uh, and he does. He goes back to his forest. He goes into his, like, uh, his tree His axe sanctum. Yeah. He, yes. He, he pulls out, like, this mithril axe. And then he gets his crew, which looks completely hilarious. They literally are the fairies, and they have tree branches that are, like, just wiggly little twigs with leaves on them. And they start wrecking the Ogwai. Obliterating them. The Ogwai has a dragon, like this sort of uh, Asiatic Chinese dragon that flies through the air, blows fire, and Claus's adapted, uh, adopted mom, the 12-year-old looking elf, literally just turns the fire back on it and torches it into cinders. There's like, hey, can we talk about, so they're all um, offed in, in weird ways, but can we talk about when the great Ack goes to use the axe on uh, some, some giant monstrosity of an Ogwai, he doesn't hit him with the axe. He brandishes the axe at him, and then a bolt of lightning fires from the axe and incinerates him. Into like I need one of those axes. I didn't know that's how you use an axe. I didn't. Dude, was... this is a special axe. This <laughs> is like, this he is even, the axe he, of the gods. He even when he pulls it out of the chest, like when he's preparing for battle, he even tests the sharpness on his thumb. And and that's how it's used. Does it matter if it's sharp? It's like a gun that like shoots Ethan. knives. Nathan, we've read Marvel all, all, all our lives. You're surprised that, that someone whipped out something and it shoots lightning. It's like, why would I hit anybody with this when it shoots lightning? Yeah, and I, I do want to talk about, um, this is really beautifully designed. Like the creatures are all really cool looking. Um, the details are there. They all blink, they all sway. The animal life is 50-50. When the reindeer come thereafter to help Santa after the Ogwire gone to help him carry um like his load i actually thought they looked okay compared to his um his his mountain lion mama who yeah. has some real awkward running stages i know it's tough but yeah it looked it looked like an arched cat like when they're angry but like running on all fours um interesting though uh it's really interesting and if you if they remastered this like they have you know so many times rudolph or or the red nose reindeer um they look phenomenal but we don't really have those remasters of this and that brings me to why i think we don't have these remasters aside from the fact that it's outlandish um and and by the way the way it wraps up is that the reason Ack and his immortals are even talking about Claus, since Claus has moved out of town, is because he's on his last day of life where he can bring presents. And Ack is saying, hey, we have one mantle of immortality to give out. Why are we holding on to it? Let's give it to this guy so he can give gifts to children for the rest of eternity because he deserves it. And they do. And that's a sweet moment. Um, but there's this turning point. In the beginning of the movie, Claus has grown up and he's a young man or a child, really in this immortal forest and everything is wonderful. And this is when the great act tells him, uh, 
you know, say goodbye to your mom because I'm taking you on a big journey tomorrow. You're meeting the mortals. And he's like, oh, what's a mortal? And he's like, you're a mortal. And he shows him, he does this like um, anti it's a wonderful life slash Ebenezer Scrooge moment where he takes class to see the most depressing things that the world has to offer at this time. Um, first, he takes them to uh, a, a, a field where they're pulling turnips. Again, I don't know where the locations are on these things, but they're pulling turnips and the serfs are being yelled at by a, a, a chancellor, some, some middle manager body uh, in this medieval kingdom. And a little hungry boy tries to steal a turnip and he gets caught and yelled at. Then we see the fat family of landowners who are oppressing these guys. I'm going to play a clip uh, in just a moment from that. And then we go to uh, what I thought was actually a non-racist, at least not outwardly racist portrayal of um, sort of shogun society. And then somewhere in the Middle East at like a bazaar where there are street urchins. So the, the, the moral is, is that in the bazaar, these children are, are, are alone. They have no parents, they have no family, and they're just trying to beg for survival, and it's tough. And then in the Shogun era, um, the, the kids are being, these little children are being taught to fight um, with, with uh, uh, you know, wooden, wooden swords, essentially. Um, so they're not going to really hurt each other, necessarily. Um, I guess, but I guess my, my counter to that is, like, you, you see the, I guess, generic Europe turnip pickers, whatever they're yeah. that is um and you know you hear kind of the peasants kind of making their point the bourgeoisie making their point you have this back and forth and then great act brings him to you know japan right. and is like i don't know what they're saying i don't speak <laughs> japanese but they're barbaric it's um true. they have swords anyway like, it's true and essentially what he says they're teaching him and he sort of defends the 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 father teaching it's this weird moment because he's defending Claus is like these kids like he's like one kid defeats the other kid and the kid falls over and he's like why is he telling them to fight and then the adult um takes the 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 kendo stick and he's like or whatever it is and he's and he he attacks the kid and the kid falls down he's like don't attack him like why is he doing this and the great act says he's teaching them what they'll need to survive in this harsh world and he looks at him and there's this pause and you're like essentially they're do he's like he's looking right at him and going they're doing what we didn't do for you, friend. Like, you have no skills to survive, and this is what we didn't provide to you. So welcome to this new fresh hell that you're going to experience. It was a weird moment. Um, I, I Also, I think it is funny that early, like at the very start of the film, you do um, have that moment of great act and the the Rosetta Stone elf um, who, he like, the Rosetta, he, like, he said something to the great act and acts like, I don't, I don't speak any other language give it to me in my language <laughs> it does it does and and that's <laughs> and it's an interesting dynamic that Ak has with everyone um and what gets what surprised me is one this was made in 1985 it feels older to me um maybe because it's a frank old bomb story and they stuck kind of close to it ish uh it feels a little older and so i was honestly expecting when i saw um the, the, the Shogun children and I saw the um, Middle Eastern kids running on the bazaar, I expected them to look, to be completely honest, like monsters. Um, and they didn't. They actually, I thought, did a fairly respectful job. They looked just as 
cartoonish but relatively normal as, as the other as the other uh, mortal characters. So I give them props for that. Um, and it makes sense because Frank L. Baum's work really was sort of, he always has these satire moments in there. And I think that people who do satire well tend to be aware, even if they are a quote product of their time, they tend to be aware of some societal uh, injustices. And this comes down to why I think this film isn't more well known uh, than some of the other films that are of the era and of the style. And it's because of this bleak moment that literally just snatches the wig off capitalism. Um, let's listen to this moment when they've, they've seen the serfs, be, the, the kids sort of chastised, and then we get the, the fat family eating inside the castle. Here we go. Why, Rushwell tells me the serfs are acting up again. Hmm. One of the little brats tried to steal one of my turnips. Imagine. Hmm. He only took it because he was hungry. It's fine for you. You've got everything you need. Surely we can do something. And I hear that another scamp wants to learn to read. Imagine. Hmm. Next, they'll be wanting to write. You don't want to learn to read or write, do you, Jameson? Of course not, sir. I just urinate in your wine. It's just, it's just insane. It is insane because um, it's, it's way, to me, it's heavy handed, but it is also just way above most people's tolerance, I think, in our country, speaking of the U.S., uh, for this overshow of classism. It's completely relevant. But I think we're like, like, I just could see parents sitting down like, well, like, like, I, this is, I, I earned my Cadillac. Did they earn their Cadillac? It's just so weird. I don't know if anybody else felt that in that moment, especially when he turns to essentially the house slave and is like, you don't want to read, do you? That's my man. Like, I, I, I know. I was like, eat the rich. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. And Klaus is sort of, in, it basically, it turned the whole film to read like sort of um, socialist propaganda because then we get to the fact that Santa Claus's entire life's mission then becomes to give toys to everyone. And at one point, the Rosetta Stone elf says something like, but then, you know, he's like, I'm going to give one to Wendy. And she's like, but Wendy's parents are rich. And he goes, everyone, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone gets treated the same. And I'm like, yeah, this ain't gonna fly uh, on, on ABC right now. Like, it's just not. Um, and, and I don't know, so I've talked a huge amount, but I feel like this film needed this long drawn out explanation of the plot because there's so many, if you just said, oh, it's Santa Claus, like being found as a child and um, becoming Santa, it does not do it justice. Let's go to this. Tad, had you seen this movie before? I had surprisingly not. I thought this was something else. I thought this was going to be the uh, one that I always remembered from every year. You know, Santa's a flaming red head and he meets Mrs. Claus and all that cool stuff. And then I was like, wait, why is Red Link in this movie? Oh, this has nothing to do. And the funny thing is I was watching this with my wife and halfway through the movie, she started singing the songs and she's like, oh my God, I've heard these before. I'm like, well, I haven't, so I'm glad someone has watched this. Um, it was um, it was kind of a surreal moment. I um, am one, especially with this sort of media, I don't dig too deep into it because I guess I have a perspective in life now where, you know, it, it hits me 
more in the whole, you know, the, there's nothing more beautiful in the world than a happy child. And I'm like, my son's right next to me who's just been born. And it's like, oh, that's right, little man. That's, that's, that's most of what I pull. I mean, yeah, I see, I see a lot of this whole, like, time to take down the feudalism here thing. And, but uh, it's one of those times, Nathan, for once, we watch something that's uplifting. Yeah. Let's just enjoy the uplifting aspect of it. It's true. <laughs> and, and not millennial, and- just deconstruct it. Uh, well, you're gonna you're gonna lose it out on that. So, um, and I will say this though is that uh, Rankin Bass produced this, and they did also produce Rudolph um, and and those other shows. So it's there's a reason why the stop motion animation looks familiar. It's the same team working on it. Um, the other thing I'll mention too here is the voices. Uh, we already mentioned Alfred Drake, but the rest of the voices, most of them are the cast of the original Thundercats. Um, so Mumra's in there as Santa, uh, Chitara, they're, they're, they're mostly in there, and Silverhawks, if that was your thing. So if you're a child of the 80s and you love those shows, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus is definitely worth a watch because it's that moment times 10 when you're watching an anime or something, and you're like, wait a minute, you know, that's Hero. And you're like, no, that's, you know, that's Krillin or whatever. Um, Greg, what about you? Had you seen this film? And what is your take on it? Um, I watching it I wasn't entirely sure um like Tad I mean I definitely drew the parallels to um I think it's Santa Claus is coming to town that's mm-hmm. the the other one where he yeah he's he's a um sprightly redhead um but yeah I, I think I'd seen it before um maybe once um I, I I found it so bizarre because Santa Claus is coming to town came out in 1970, 15 years before this. Yeah. And this just kind of felt like, like a kind of a cheap knockoff yeah. by the same company. Yeah. yeah. And this is the last one they did in this style. This was their final one. I do think I was trying, so I was looking side to side between many of them. And I do think a big part of the appearance difference, the reason why it feels so old is because it has never been truly remastered. Um, and it, it leads to not only, not only some, some foggy visuals, if that's uh, the appropriate term, just some graininess, but also it just makes some of the jankiness stand out. And it's hard for me to judge what was truly janky and maybe, you know, like, oh, this movement's not right, or this is whatever, because some of the touches are still there. Like the eyes, you know, they do, a lot of characters cry in this one, which is really impressive for stop motion animation because they're essentially using some physical media um, to, to create the drop. And, and it's effective, but um, yeah, it's a little harder to watch because it feels so dated and it's so much because of the quality of the presentation and, and, and I just, I wish that we could see, you know, this completely remastered. Um, but also, I mean, to that end, like, what, you know, would that cheapen it? Like, you know, it's, I, I, I like a lot of those stop motion Christmas films, you know, Jack Frost, Rudolph, You're Without a Santa Claus. Um, and so, you know, maybe this is just kind of the, the cars too of the, the Christmas stop motion films for me where, you know, I, it, it's still a Pixar movie, you know, I still enjoy it enough. Um, But yeah, like this, like Ted said, I mean, this was cute. It was wholesome. It was fun. I don't know if I'll watch it every Christmas, but like, if people are like, Hey, like, 
I, I've seen all all of them, all of them. I'm like, oh, have you seen the life and adventures of Santa Claus? And then I'll <laughs> pop this on and they'll think it's Santa Claus is coming to town and then be shocked. So I appreciate that Cars 2 reference because <laughs> good Lord, that movie's a bomb, an abomination. We're going to have to talk about Cars 2 at some point uh, in more detail. But we're going to move on to Mandy. Mandy, had you seen this film? I had not seen this film before. What is your take after um, having watched it? <laughs> I think I also thought it was Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> Common theme. That's why I sent um, you guys, before we did this, I sent a message <laughs> saying, you're going to be something like, like, I'm excited. This is crazy. Because, and especially, like I said, the cover does not, does not do it any, the cover looks like Christmas. The movie does not mm -hmm. look like Christmas. Um, mm -mm. So it continues. <laughs> okay. So um, I both appreciated and did not like the divergence from like the normal Santa Claus stories. <laughs> like I was like, this is really interesting. A plus for creativity, but also do you know like what story you're writing like about Santa? Like it's just very disjointed. Um, and it was good that you mentioned the whole weirdness about them deciding to name him Claus because that felt super clunky and really I think destroyed my suspension of disbelief. Like, I, I just can't. You had me up until there. Uh, no, uh, like this whole dumb naming <laughs> and that, scheme thing. And that's thing. probably in it. the first. Um, I'm out. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so what's interesting too is um, the the I, I keep going back. What stuck with me was the Ogwai, right? Because they're the they're the the mean ones that are trying to because. We don't really understand. Everything else gets a fairly like nuanced touch. Like, well, humans, the, the inhumanity of man to man, and like they have to learn to survive. And you have to, you know, you've brought light into this world through this. And children of the future, all these things. And then you have the Ogwai, who are sort of Native American esque in this because, like, Ax shows up to say, "Hey, you've been hassling this Claus guy, and he's under my protection," and that's almost verbatim. Um, and and the Ogwai are like, we don't, we don't bow to you. We don't bow to anyone. And he's like, you're right, uh, but you better lay off. And they're like, no, it's war. And, and to be fair, right? Like, I mean, of course, they're, the excuse is that they're making children do bad things, but we don't know why they're making, like, what is the background on them? Because they were clearly there before and then they get obliterated and the like four main ones go running off at the end of the battle and then um, we don't see what happens to them, but the great act then comes back to class and says, uh, they have perished. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, like, did you just corner them in, a, in an out valley somewhere and wipe them out? Like, I'm, I'm uncomfortable hard. with this. I, Fox Canyon Massacre. Yeah. I, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give my interpretation on this. It, um, note that they said, we're as powerful as you. Except they're not, but clearly they, stated, they yeah. stated that, and it looked like to me it was an allegory of these. These are the creature. These are the primordial creatures that essentially corrupt children to become the bad people that you know they, they that act highlighted. He's like going through like yeah, these people they're kind of jerks, and it turns out this is why they they enjoy corrupting humanity and making them do horrible things, and you know now the world's a whole bunch of piles of shit and. Uh, they're like, oh, we're going to throw some hope into the Santa guy in hopes that uh, he will uh, 
you know, make children better or because they'll get toys, you know? Yeah, I wish that there, and, and I think you're, you're right. I do think that that's probably the intent because, I, and to the, to the credit of, of, of Ack and everyone, they say when Ack confronts them and says, leave Klaus alone, they say, in fact, no, we're not going to. And in fact, when we catch him again, we're going to kill him. Because um, before they would just rough him up and take his stuff. And so to be fair, they did threaten to kill him. And it's sort of like what, there is no beyond that, right? Like, what do you do? But it, when, when Ack shows up there and is like beforehand and is like, it's going to be war, um, which, which Klaus does not participate in, by the way. He's not there during the battle. Um, he does, he, Ack leaves and Santa Claus sheds a tear. And it's like the moment that he is pure because he didn't like battle before because he's, he's, Ack has told him about war and he's horrified, right? Um, and I would have loved to see some act of kindness on his part on behalf of the Ogwai, even if it was a remembrance or something, like everyone treated it the same. You know what I mean? Like that, that would have been the next level of beauty, right? Because we're also kind of seeing, uh, Klaus as a Christ figure in this, right? Because there's no religiousness in this. But even in the beginning, when, um, when he first goes to the frozen wastes, and he's like, we're going to live here, he sets up a shanty, and it shows him sleeping in like, it looks like hay, or at least maybe I'm remembering it that way, with the mountain lion and the elf. And it, I couldn't help but think, because of the iconography we're so familiar with, it looked like Jesus in the manger. Um, and, and we get that. Uh, and then we get the little time, like you said, Mandy, the details and creativity of how they worked everything in was kind of interesting because Santa knows that it's his last Christmas um, when, he, when we get to that point. And he walks out with his elf and the mountain lion, who apparently is immortal too, because that would be too brutal. If the, if the mountain lion died, I couldn't handle it. Um, and there's a tree there and he's putting ornaments of toys on it. And he says, um, I'm mortal. I'm going to die. But the, the, the hangings on this tree or whatever um, will, will help you remember me when I'm gone. And, and the elf is like, we will do this every year for you and, and never forget you. And it's a sweet moment. And also it gives us the explanation of the Christmas tree. Um, but I thought that, that was kind of a beautiful moment. And it's almost, I almost was wondering, I'm like, we have to have Santa immortal because that seems to be the point of this, right? Is that's how Santa is still here. But it almost felt like Santa was made peace with his death. I was like, how is this going to happen? Because uh, I wasn't sure. And then, of course, he gets the mantle bestowed upon him, essentially, without asking. He could very happy, in, in the real world, he could very much not be happy with this. We don't know. Um, but I thought that that was an interesting approach uh, is that these immortals are saving Santa and and it does point to the idea Tad that you raised where he's sort of the one bringing joy and and goodness back into the world and so he deserves to be there forever to sort of be the Christ figure that is literally saving everyone by providing this service for well, and also time. it's it's a story where he's a baby fast forward he did some good stuff okay he's an adult and here's right. here's where he dies on the cross for There's you the 33 like, years in the middle or whatever yeah 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 um yeah so um, it was an interesting I, bit i did also want to bring up i think it's it's crazy um I'd almost blacked out the battle scene, but yeah, great act starts off and kind of shows 
you know, Santa, like, oh, here's all the misery of humankind. <laughs> Look at them messing among themselves. And then, oh, yeah, but we forgot there's these, like, evil orcs that have been, like, corrupting them for years. And we just kind of, I don't know, lived in the forest. But now we're here and we're really mad. <laughs> Yeah, it was totally like I had Braveheart moments where it's like it's like um, yeah, like well, people people were being bad, but now Mel Gibson's here and it's a different story, <laughs> and he has two hand axes. Yeah, like it was sort of this insane fucking flip. Um, did you? I was. I don't know if anyone else did this when the rock came through the window. I was like, oh, oh shit, Santa didn't pay his protection money. It so there's the so when the Ogwai <laughs> the Ogwai first revealed themselves by throwing a literal rock with a note tied to it through the window. Why don't they put like, a bag of flaming dog poop on his porch while while they're at it? I'm just it was the weirdest and also I'm like, this is like I'm sorry. Here's what we had in vision. We had they also have in addition to the mountain lion at this point, they have a little black cat. And then they have a roaring fire. And then you have a bald, overweight man with a beard who's very hairy and a little tiny elf. And a rock goes through the window. And all I could think of is, this is a hate crime. This is a hate crime. There's this nice same-sex couple that just moved into the neighborhood. And these big bullies don't like them there. And they threw a rock through their window. And I don't know. And it seems like an interesting exclusion to exclude any sort of Mrs. Claus in this at all. I know that the story it's based on, you know, such, but it seems like a glaring error to have this man live his entire life and have no desire for partnership. Of course it happens. Asexuality is, is you know, psychologist junk. This is a thing. I get it. It's just as weird in this lexicon that we have to see this story where that's completely absent. And yet he still isn't by himself and he's not just with pets. He is with this tiny elf who does nothing but talk at him. Um, Engler. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like a stereotype. So, uh, I think we're, I, I think we're going to start the the recommendations here. Um, I will start with this one. So, I recommend the Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, and again, it's the Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, not the Life and Times of Santa Claus. That is different. The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, nineteen eighty five. To anyone who likes stop motion animation, it's really cool to see um, essentially a. It's, a feature length or at least a long short 50 minutes um, with these really neat creature designs from a team that's done it for many years and that we aren't familiar with because we're so familiar with uh, many of the other uh, Christmas stop-motion animation films and the more contemporary ones like James and the Giant Peach, uh, Number Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, those things. It's really cool to find one that, that I had never seen before and I, there's a lot to like. I think the, the Ogwai designs especially are super neat uh, and it's straight out of, you know, D&D uh, &D second edition, first edition, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, that's what I recommend this to. Also, you need to be open in theology. If you're looking for a Christmas with some sort of religious story, good luck. You will not find it here. Um, conversely, if you like this sort of insane take on Santa Claus, um, check out the Mexican film production the San, uh, just called Santa Claus. And it's been done by both Mystery Science Theater in a slightly edited form and Rift Tracks. And that is absolute batshit crazy film. Merlin is in it. Santa Claus lives on like a cloud planet. There's a giant seeing Ibot. It is, it is one, and he fights the devil. That is literally, it's 100% madness. It's brilliant. Totally watch it. It, it. I can't express to you how I'm saying this. So did if you like the life adventure. Have credits on them? No, no, it's, it's live action. 
Um, if, if the life and adventures of Santa Claus uh, pushes you to watch more madness, go watch Santa Claus. Greg, who would you recommend the life and adventures of Santa Claus to and why? Um, I mean, I liked it overall. Um, if, if you're a fan of like Christmas or vaguely holiday themed <laughs> films, um, I'd say give this a try. It's a little bit of um, It's a Wonderful Life dipped into Santa Claus's coming to town and then they accidentally spilled the Bible on it and tried to quickly <laughs> scoop it out. Um, like it, it was good. It was cute. Um, but I would, I would say if you, if you want to um, kind of go a little more mainstream with your kind of bizarre Santa stories, um, check out um, Rise of the Guardians from DreamWorks, also based off of a kid's book. Um, check out, uh, I think it was Klaus on Netflix. That was like a year or two ago. I that also was, enjoyed that one. K that was amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of holiday movies and you kind of want to see something from a, di a very different time, like give this a watch. It's fun enough. And it's what, like 50 minutes? 50 minutes. Yep. Yeah, you're in and out before you can um, even ask what. So That's what she said. <laughs> ah. All right, Tad, who would you recommend The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus to and why? If you were a kid like me that grew up and you had seen Santa Claus the movie and you needed to, to see a movie, the, the second weirdest Santa movie ever, this is it. Because the only thing weirder than this was the Santa Claus movie with Dudley Moore because I still don't know why that movie exists. I still remember it. And I'm like, what was, why? But there it is. I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hazard to say there are even more, but we're gonna get into that later this month on Colton Classic Podcast. All right. Mandy, who would you recommend The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus to and why? No, oh, I think I go with a little what you said, Nate, a little what Greg said. Like, want to try something different for Christmas? Not super religious. Like, this is a good one to mix it up with. Super cute, great character design, um, great animation, like classic, stop motion, um, fun, different characters and twists on the story. So, but it's not like super well written. I mean, some cases, and it's a little bit clunky in some, you know, as you mentioned, and like played some clips and stuff. So it's like, there's a lot of really great elements there. It's definitely dated, but fun to mix it up for like some uh, classic movies, maybe put on in the background or something. All right. Well, and, and I just want to throw in there too. Tad mentioned this earlier that Klaus kind of looks like a uh, red capped L, uh, uh, Link from Legend of Zelda, like the Minish Cap era. Um, I think that's true. And actually, if you like the, especially the sort of um, 90, late 90s, mid 90s, Legend of Zelda from sort of the N64 up, uh, especially the things like Wind Waker um, and Breath of the Wild, I think you will enjoy the aesthetics of this because the way that those games sort of um, started to use the geometric nature of, of uh, polygonal graphics to their benefit by working geometry into their designs, that felt like this in many ways. The elves are very smooth. The mortals and the characters that are more mortal-like or more masculine are very angular, uh, like Ak. They definitely have, you know, rooms full somewhere of moldering designs for this movie that I would love to see that unfortunately we may not get to see, but uh, I'm sure that they're out there. So uh, if you are a member of the estate of any of those designers, please reach out to Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back at you with a cosmic Christmas.
Hey, cult and classic crew, friends and fiends of the pod, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Nate, I don't have any money, and if I did, I'd be spending it on cool things like buttons and custom trading cards and zines that are unique and made each week by the cult and classic podcast family. And guess what? You can do both of those things at once. You can support cultandclassicpodcast.com and get awesome swag like buttons and custom trading cards that are printed on actual trading card stock by actual trading card printers and autographed by the artist and also zines like classic issues of rearted with comics and illustrations and interviews as well as brand new cult and classic podcast family publications that uh, are brand new so you'll get them first in line these are awesome awesome things that you can get just by joining our patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast for as little as a dollar a month you can get videos of our episodes you can see all our lovely shining faces as well as exclusive content like uh, extra episodes film reviews book reviews and things like commentary by us on our short films which you'll also be able to see if you want to pay a little more five dollars a month per se us then you get an awesome autographed custom trading card these are official printed uh, at the same place that prints every other trading card you've ever bought and they're autographed by the artist these are exclusively for cult and classic podcast and inspired by our episodes they you can't get them anywhere else except through us only five dollars a month you get it shipped right to you shipping is free if you pay $10 a month, if you are a true drinker of the Kool-Aid for cultandclassicpodcast.com, then you will get uh, the trading card, access to all of the content that is exclusive to Patreon members, and you will get a brand new zine every month, whether it's a classic uh, copy of Rearded Zine uh, with interviews, comics, art, all sorts of cool stuff, or brand new Cult and Classic Podcast family publications. Those will get sent straight to your door. Plus there's usually extras like pins, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So you're doing two great things. You are spending money on awesome swag and you are supporting Cult and Classic Podcast. I know it's tough right now in the pandemic. If you can do it, join us at Cult and Classic Podcast Patreon. If you can't, why don't you recommend it to a friend? We all have those rich friends and uh, they can spread it around a little more. I'm just going to say it. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, as always, Colton Classic Podcast loves you. And we are back. I am really, really excited to talk about this one. Um, and I don't know how everybody else is going to feel, but A Cosmic Christmas from 1977. This is, this is a weird one. Um, it's a 26-ish minute short that uh, was produced by Nelvana, which is a Canadian animation company. Um, it also was part of a later compilation in 1980 that Nelvana put out called Nelvanimation, which uh, was, it was a movie-length collection of four of their shorts. And uh, Clive Smith uh, directed all of those four. Clive Smith directed this one. Clive Smith is sort of uh, probably most well known for directing. Um, uh, well, he directed a lot of cartoons, uh, a lot of cartoon features, and my favorite is 1983's Rock and Roll, which we will absolutely do on this podcast because it is a true crime against God that it has not been watched and known by every single person on the planet. 
Now, uh, he also did a lot of other weird little neat things like uh, Mad Balls, Gross Jokes, and all the shorts, uh, Escape from the Orb in the 80s. Uh, remember Mad Balls, the little monster heads? Oh my god, he, Mad Balls. Yeah, he produced the Beetlejuice cartoon, which is a fantastic oh, cartoon. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's a lot of pedigree behind his name. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's recognized in this. And I'm going to say that this film is... I think this film is wonkier in some ways than The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus um, because when you watch this movie, it's, it takes place in like that sort of 70s that we all see, like we saw in Cruisin' and um, it's like this sort of gritty, urban, but somehow rural feeling. Like it could have taken place in, in like the outskirts of Chicago in 1970. You know, um, everything is a little rough, but everyone also knows each other. And it's a weird way to start out a holiday animated short. Um, the story itself is that you have uh, this little kid, Peter, who's running around town with his pet goose. Uh, and I forget the goose's name. Uh, Lucy. Lucy, thank you. Uh, and, and he and Lucy are wandering around. They're the kind ones. They're just the happy kids. Uh, and Peter sees um, essentially a spaceship in the sky and he tries to point out to everyone and no one gives a shit. The, the neighborhood kind of bully rough and tumble kids uh, tease him about it. And, and then they fall on his goose and the goose being a goose, in case anyone has never met a goose, gooses are literal uh, Satan's covered in feathers. Uh, I like geese, but they, they, he starts a rumble. And th these like four kids are rumbling with Lucy the goose and Peter grabs Lucy and runs away. And the, the head kid who's got the long hair and the narrow eyes and kind of like the wise guy, he's like, I'm gonna get that goose. And so then Peter finds the actual alien ship, which is a little ominous. It's a big red orb, sort of a very fire in the sky. Like um, D.B. Sweeney like is having flashbacks here because uh, the thing comes down, the door opens, and out step three aliens that move sort of like uh, like like there's trails behind the animation cells, so it looks like they're sort of dreamy and swirly, like how the vampires moved in Queen of the Queen of the Damned, you know. And you know, uh, the sorceresses in Final Fantasy VIII. Okay, yes, that that also is accurate. Um, and, uh, and, and one of them, by the way, uh, Lexicon, it's Lexicon, Amalthor, and I think Snurk are their names. And uh, Richard M. Davidson does the voice of Lexicon, who I believe is the main one. Um, it's hard to tell, because they're kind of supposed to be the three magi, I guess, uh, reading notes. I don't so much see that, but that's, we'll talk about that. Um, he was Dracula in 1978's Monster Squad movie. Um, so... There's, there's a, an interesting interesting carry there. If you can hear that, I commend you. Because uh, I, I didn't really hear it. Now that I know, I can hear it. So these aliens meet him, and they're like, well, we're here because, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, there was a, a star that got brighter in this system. And we're trying, it's seen from tons of planets, so we're trying to find out what it meant. And he's like, oh, you must mean the star of Bethlehem. And this is the one snippet of religion that comes into this movie. In a movie that is really freaking bizarre and sort of off the wall when it comes to religion. Um, he's like, oh, well, that was when Jesus was born. Uh, that's what you must meant. And, and he gave us Christmas. And 
they're like, oh, well, then I guess we need to find out what Christmas is. So he takes them around town after telling these three aliens that Christmas is about um, love, I think caring for one another, and peace. And of course, because it's the 70s, every single place that the kid stops by, like the shop, he looks like they always have Christmas in the window at this shop. The shop owner comes out and he's cursing and he gets tangled in his um, like wreath. And he's just, every single thing he shows them, they're like, is this peace? And it's clearly not peace. He's like, is this caring for other people? And like, it's just the most depressing cavalcade of um, unhappy people during the holidays. And then all it needs is just a trombone in the back for yeah, every scene. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and so he's like, eh, kind of. It's like there's one more place that could have like ho holiday spirit. And he goes home. Um, he goes home. He walks into the room. His grandmother is making stuff for the tree, like a, this little origami angel where if you pull it, the wings get, you know, spread. And um, the parents look at her like, you don't have to buy anything anymore, Grandma. Like, I mean, you don't have to build anything. Just buy it. And she's like, you can't buy everything. And they're like, oh, it's crazy, Grandma. And, uh, and then the kid comes home, and he's like, I brought guests. And the dad, like, turns on a dime and is like, how many times have I told you not to talk to strangers? And then the three aliens come in. And, of course, they're all like, holy crap. These are aliens. Um, then they have this kind of fun moment where the grandmother is telling the aliens what Christmas was like when she was young. And it's really beautiful. And there's like the trees decorated and it's a real tree and the presents are not, she doesn't talk about the presents at all. Um, there's like, you know, uh, streamers and a fireplace. It's just, and like huge amounts of food. And one of the aliens is doing this thing where he's kind of creating the illusion around them. It's a neat moment. Um, Am I the only one who was creeped out by that whole scene? Oh, like the psychedelic! That, it looks like they're they're spraying gas into the the, the room. Sort yeah, of. I I thought it was freaky as hell. Um, <laughs> I mean, it like the aliens. I think you're right. They looked really cool, but it also made me motion sick to watch them for more than a few sure. seconds. Great, I got a fucking movie for you. Uh, yeah, later. Yeah, okay. something in this vein, yeah. So, so I want to be I, sick. <laughs> I would say that maybe it's the fact that we're still in 2020, and if a stranger with a monster face walked into my house and said, I've got a magic power to make you see wonderful things and be happy, I'd be like, sign me up, strap me in. What do you got to do? You have to fit my brain? Let's go. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But but yeah, so that's a moment. But of course, it, it's wrecked when um, uh, Lucy gets snagged as as uh peter goes out to get wood by the the mean kid uh the bad kid and um is the bad kid marvin i think is his name uh but he's uh he takes lucy because he's gonna have himself a, a goose dinner which is kind of gruesome right i mean a goose is of course a traditional dinner uh for christmas although most of us i don't think have it anymore but he runs off and he goes on like this E.T. bike chase with this goose and, and the, the, the family's chasing him. And at this point, the townspeople have rallied up with the like super um, uh, sort of French hard private eye out of a Luc Besson movie um, police chief and the mayor who I don't know what planet the mayor's from because he looks like a monster uh he has like these these look like bright red dreadlocks sticking out from the back of his head and his fingers are like little claws <laughs> really weird um but he's of course panicking the whole time for god knows why he's scared of aliens i guess but they've confronted it's, uh, the mayor from uh 
Nightmare Before Christmas. Very yeah. much so, yes. <laughs> but like, if the like if you took Quaaludes, then he would be the mayor from Nightmare Before because this guy is ramped up. Um, and you've got so at this point in time, as uh, Peter is chasing Marvin with Lucy, and his family's running behind him, and the, the aliens are then trailing behind. You've got the townspeople with the mayor and the uh, police chief confronting the orb that's just parked there, essentially. And they're yelling at it and giving a 10 count. And then uh, Marvin bikes right through them. And Peter runs through and is like, stop him. And the dad's like, thief. And the cop goes, thief. Now that's something I can get, or like robbery. That's something I can get behind. And then they just start taking off after that. Plus these aliens. Exactly. And, um, And they chase. And what happens is, is... Uh, Marvin goes flying with Lucy and they fall onto the frozen river which gives way and Lucy flies out uh, or, or hops out but Marvin is stuck uh, on you know sort of trying to escape this frozen water hole and uh, the first thing that happens is Peter doesn't stop at all he just goes to try and save him but he can't reach him and then he falls in too uh, and then they're both falling in and essentially the the police chief does what you would hope a police chief would do. I'm a little skeptical these days, but he's like, let's form a human chain. We got to get these kids out. And then they can't reach. And he sees the three shadows on the hill. And he's like, Hey guys, we need your help. Get down here. And they're like, well, we can't interfere. But they're like, maybe, but we need to understand Christmas. And so they go and they help and they rescue the kids. They're the three that stretch the gap. Um, and then they, they understand Christmas and the main alien smiles at one point. Uh, and there's this cool moment, which, I mean, it's, yes, it's cheesy, but like you said, this is an uplifting week. It's kind of shocking where everyone turns against Marvin as frankly, I would, right? Like he just tried to kill this kid's goose or steal him and kill this kid's goose. Right. And, uh, and they're like, he belongs in jail. Why did you do this? Like they're really nasty. And of course their faces are really ugly at this point. Um, and why would you do this? You know, because he's bad. And then the grandma, who's been sort of the sweet voice, says, um, or because he's hungry. And essentially then they're like, oh, and the family invites Marvin for Christmas. And he's like, no. And Peter convinces him. So all of the sort of, essentially, they seem like homeless kids, right? Um, uh, join for the big festivities and the whole town is in the house and they're all having a good time. And then the aliens are like, oh, we get Christmas. And then they they fly off. And um and it's a nice moment. This, this film feels like Heavy Traffic by Ralph Bakshi, which is one of my yes. favorite movies. But if you haven't seen it, it is a grimy, weird, trippy, depressing, mixed version of like um, what it's like to live in the middle of a city, frankly, poor, uh, or at least not rich. Um, and, and that's what it felt like it's like this kind of happy story in this weirdly bleak, um, gritty, you know, everyone's just kind of tired and haggard and meh um, world. And so I think the intent was that these aliens have sort of helped them rediscover the meaning of Christmas by asking what the meaning of Christmas is. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think that that's a nice, a nice message. It's just such a weird thing to base a Christmas story on. And when I saw that uh, the, the like uh, people were saying, oh, the three aliens are supposed to be the three wise men. I'm like, okay, well, if that's true, how does that factor into the story? Like, does, does that make Peter Jesus? Cause he's trying to show people the right way. I mean, kind of not really. He's sort of a, 
he, he's a kid. He doesn't have any power, really, right? Like, he's not calling the shots. Um, Clearly, it's, it's just, Lucy. 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 Yeah. And Lucy is, of course, the comedy relief in a lot of it. Like, um, I, I thought it was cute. I thought it worked. Oh, and they, the aliens have an unnamed little creature with them as well, which doesn't seem to... It's treated like a pet. Like, it doesn't have a name or anything. It's just a couple of eyes floating. It's sort of like the... Um, Booster Gold from DC Comics has his assistant or whatever who's actually like more powerful. And I forget what he's called. Um, this is, my DC stand card is revoked, but um, he looks very similar to him. Um, and he just floats around and he can change his shape and uh, uh, sort of, he, he seems like he's going to help, but then sometimes he seems like he thinks Lucy's like really delicious looking to eat and like he's gonna eat Lucy in the background. Something It's a weird thing to throw in there. Uh, but I guess aliens needed a pet too, to, to humanize them somehow. So I've got some other stuff I wanna talk about, but first I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you guys a chance. Uh, Greg, what did you expect going into this and what was your take on it afterward? Um, well, I mean, I expected anything as always. Um, <laughs> afterward, um, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, this was even shorter than the last one. This is what, 22, yep. 26 minutes-ish? Um, and yeah, it's it's fun. It's weird. Um, it, it it was it was enjoyable. It was it was strange enough to keep me interested, but not so out there that I like felt myself drifting away because I couldn't follow anymore. Yeah, and it's pretty. It's I mean, like you said, it's only it, it's short of half an hour. It's also pretty well paced. I felt like everything is introduced very quickly. Um, you don't dwell on anything long, and they they you know it's it's clear that they've worked on a lot of shows before because it's formatted like a third, you know, a 25 or so minute show. Um, you cut between characters, characters cross paths. Uh, it's sort of a natural way. It just, it, it fits the conventions a little more than maybe the life and adventures of Santa Claus and its presentation. So even though it was made like, or it came out eight years before the life and adventures of Santa Claus, I find this one feels much more contemporary. Um, even though it clearly takes place in the 70s with the fashion. And also the animation style is very 70s. If you don't know, like if someone's listening and doesn't really understand what that means, um, think of like the keep on trucking poster and, and everything is, it's line art. There's not a lot of uh, line weight variation in the artwork. Um, everyone has a little bit of a mop top, except for the cop who's got a crew cut and uh, big eyes sort of, um, you know. Feels ziggy. Huh? Everything feels ziggy. Yeah, like their like, eyebrows are in their hair. Yeah, very R crumb. A lot of them don't have shoes. Like they. <laughs> yeah, and can we just their talk pants about, go right to the bottom of their feet? Uh, yeah. So we just talk about the four kids who are like the bad kids. Um, mm -hmm. And at first they just seem like jerks, and I mean I guess they kind of are jerks. But then you see them like in their hovel, and you don't know they're they're clearly either homeless or I guess more likely like latchkey kids who don't really have parents because they're joking around with each other. And there's like the heavy one. And that's, the, it's funny because when they first show up and they're giving Peter a hard time, I didn't notice the details like the big kid, he has holes in his shirt. And like um, the other kid doesn't like, he hasn't like ratty shoes or something. Um, and like the joke, like, what are you going to have for Christmas dinner? And he's like, same thing as I always have, nothing. Ha ha ha. And they all laugh. And you're just like, oh, this is depressing. You know, like these are actually, these kids are hard up. Um, and, but I just want to talk about the one girl in the group. Her fashion was awesome. She's like got a like platinum white afro that like goes over her eyes. You can't even see her face. And I'm like, I'm like, this, this is 
this is runway today. Like that is fantastic. I don't know where this design stepped out of, but it was, it was like Donna Summer meets Woodstock. It's just a weird vibe. Um, I, I, I dug it. Yeah. So, uh, where were we at? Uh, Mandy, what was your take of this film? Uh, and, and had you ever seen it? Oh, I'd seen this one tons of times. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> not that I had not seen this one. Um, I was like actually expecting for the kid to go into space with the whole mm -hmm. cosmic part of it. Like I was like, oh, spaceship, he's gonna go on a trip to the stars, and there's gonna be some real big twist on the whole Christmas story. Uh, but it was interesting to have the parallels of the three wise men in these aliens like Nate didn't quite get where they were going with that but like the feeling was there that yeah. that was what they were trying for um I really liked the pacing um I liked the flow of the story like it felt very natural it fit in the 22 minutes like you said um it was really good um but I hate hate hated the kind of like if felt very like Christian propaganda, kind of, even though there wasn't a lot of religion to it, but it was just like, here's your excuse to be shitty to people all the rest of the year, because all you have to do is be nice to them and give them food on Christmas. It's That's so kind funny. of Cause, cause how I, it felt. Because when he says Star of Bethlehem, I instantly thought, oh, it is very Christian. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna rub against that and say that I think there's a very strange anti-religion sentiment here in a weird way and i'm gonna play this clip this is okay. um, right before peter enters the house with the aliens um and his dad curses at him before he sees the guests come in um this mm -hmm. is the grandma this is the mom talking and then it's the grandma so let's listen to this you don't think he went looking for that flying saucer thing do you land sakes flying saucers Spaceful. <laughs> what nonsense. <laughs> As she's saying this is when she is finished making the angel that when she pulls the tab, the wings fly. She's the grandma is literally saying space folk, you know, aliens looking at the thing. What nonsense is this? Alien. It was it was so on the nose. I was like, whoa, like, I'm sorry, if I were a very religious person, which I am certainly not, that would offend me. Cause that is a, somebody, and I assume it's Clive Smith as the director is well aware with what he's doing at that moment. Um, because I, I'm sorry, it's essentially saying Jesus is a space, space person. Um, and it's sort of like this weird, uh, tongue-in-cheek like i got really? to make a christmas special <laughs> you know yeah and it, it totally I, I went back and watched it mid you know mid show because i was like whoa like that was so on the nose um and also it's it's interesting to me because i don't know that they 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 say jesus i think um but yeah. we never it's sort of like the the idea of it is not really explored at all it's just about like the kind the caring for others and and the peace and the love and so it i see how they could kind of get away with being like well everyone can kind of get a message out of this 
Um, even and we also can make these folks happy by saying "star Bethlehem," and it's a convenient use to use cosmology and you know cosmological event to bring aliens in. Um, but yeah, I, I got a very sort of um, if I got a very one of two options: either it is religious and they're saying get back to the roots, or what I found a little more likely, and maybe this is too because I have more of a background in Clive Smith's previous work, was um, uh, hey. Look what religion's gotten you, a whole lot of nothing. What do you remember, you know, about religion day to day? You're miserable, you're cranky, you know, your uh, kids are God knows where, you know, do they even have parents? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, nobody here is living a quote unquote Christian life. Um, and it's completely pointless. And, and, and so you just have to make do. And so it's just a weird, I feel like you can make an argument either way. Um, I'm definitely with you on the uh, Jesus is a space alien thing. Sure. I mean, I, I thought the three wise men being aliens, I, you know, as soon as they showed up and I saw how they looked, I started laughing. I was like, is this like, is this the movie that's going to teach the controversy of Jesus is a space alien? Like, it's <laughs> what I didn't tell you guys is that this was produced by Dianetics. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it's just an interesting thing. And the, the idea of, of subverting the Christian iconography of the wise men, because I think, Mandy, maybe what, because I thought it too before I saw it, but I sort of discarded it because I'm like, they don't really follow any of the, the plot tenets of the wise men, is that I'm like, oh, it's the fact that they're always three together. Um, and, and by aliens who travel through space, I think our first thought from, because of film and media and stuff is, oh, they're highly intelligent. So you literally get the idea of the wise things, the intelligent aliens, and they're always together as three of the three wise men. And it's sort of using that uh, Christian iconography that we've been ingrained into us uh, that's to this weird end of like um, sort of the idea of people who aren't religious telling someone who's being Christian, but picketing it like a a gay you know wedding or something it's like this isn't very christian kindness of you you know what i mean it's sort of that weird like let's take what let's take something familiar and use it against what we don't like about this and so i it's an interesting one um and i i felt a similar way with i think you can make the argument and, and there's been lots of books and papers written on it with um you know c.s lewis's uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, which is, it, it'll, it instantly turns off a lot of people who want, you know, who, who disagree with Christianity. But then when you parse it out, there's a lot of very sort of almost Judaic methodology of questioning in it that sort of uh, becomes blasphemous to someone who's super, you know, um, hardwired to be, uh, to, to be evangelical and I thought that was I always think that's interesting when people subvert the expectation like that because it can change people's minds in such a persuasive manner because they're not aware it's changing their mind I'm not sure if that's the case with this one it's a 20 26 minute short with uh, a goose in it Tad what was your take on Cosmic Christmas that's a complicated question because I'm sure you know of all people that uh my relationship with Christmas has been very uh, complicated throughout my entire life. Um, I worked in retail long enough, as did you, where you see the, not the, not the worst of humanity, let's face it, we haven't actually seen the worst of humanity, but we see the worst of, of uh, polite society uh, yes. around the holidays, which is ironic, but also, let's face it, that's just the way it is. 
Um, they got to get that Turbo Man doll. Oh my fucking god! See, there, there, now we now we're talking about real Christmas movies. <laughs> um, uh, as someone who's sort of in the in the past few years had a, a, a you know kind of a, a renaissance of uh, enjoying Christmas, finding that true meaning of Christmas. Oh no, I found the true meaning, <laughs> and also kind of having a, a resurgence of my faith, which is a complicated su- subject of which is not appropriate for this um podcast i don't want to hear about your crazy booga booga ideas you really no no, we're not ready to get into that but uh but you know as as a as a as a a punk rocker who also basically is catholic and also um really just enjoys asking the question all the time i this is this is one of those things i sat down and i really enjoyed this on all angles because I I was kind of taken aback by the fact that he basically was just like, oh, that's when Jesus Christ was born. I'm like, where's this gonna go? And it went nowhere. And it was basically just it just threw it out and was like, that's the that's the way it is. And then we're not gonna talk about it anymore. So it was like that. I guess that was kind of the best way for them to handle well, it. It sort of makes sense, right? Because that is a kid's take on it, right? It is, like, a, kid, it is a kid's take. What What are you gonna? Because the, there's that old uh, David Sedaris who calls it the um, uh, reflexive language um, to give of thine self one's only son, you know, like that, that whole idea of sacrifice with Christianity does not compute with children um, because there's not a sense of self that's strong enough yet to understand mine, yours, give, take. There is only share and gift. Like those are the two things um, that they understand. And let's be honest, those are the two things that most of us understand. And the idea of, of sort of this, uh, I'm going to go out and say, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but the, the very old school archaic idea of blood sacrifice um, to relieve sins is, is sort of crazy in polite society, uh, even if among the religious people. So to talk about that with a kid wouldn't make any sense. Um, there's, there's so much in, there's, there's, there's actually a lot that you can really dig into if you really want to but i mean you were at my wedding you heard my vows and all that you heard there's a there's a oh, i there's wasn't a, listening i'm just kidding <laughs> just there's kidding. a deep there's a deep level to all of this that that it's like you can't expect a child to understand the layers of thousands of years of tradition and thousands of years of philosophical thought so um it's it's about it's just about you know being feeling good and and you know giving to people and so and there is there is that element of i i feel like there's an element of sacrifice in both of these movies it's just it doesn't it can't get into the depth that i can understand because these are kind of supposed to be geared towards well i don't think cosmic christmas was honestly geared towards kids this was a fucking acid trip of a movie this was more like a uh like that scene in the beginning where like they're like they're the the people are arguing and you you back, remember back in the day when there were actual physical gift wrappers you brought your shit to some person who wrapped your shit for you remember when that was a thing that reminded me of back when I was working retail and it's like wow I hate all you motherfuckers this this had ruined Christmas for me because I genuinely even as a kid I was just like I really don't want like let's to pour ever- out a fourth for Black Friday's past. Oh my God, I feel bad for every person who still has to work that, because I've worked Black Fridays and they're nightmares. I mean, I've, I've had people walk up to me and try and bribe me to, to get things. And it's like, do you realize I'd lose my job? 
So why are you even asking me? It's also there were times when I would have taken those. Had anybody offered that, I'm like, that actually sounds like the best retirement package I have right now. Hot Topic's not going to give me any more than that. No, dude, I was working at Walmart. It was like $250 for me to pull out the, the what the hell was that PlayStation handheld that no one cared about? Not the Vita. PSP. The it was a nice device. PSP. Yeah, someone tried it. It was like, I'll give you $200 to, to get that the, 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 uh, PSP out. I'm like, uh, no. Also, no. <laughs> and it's also 4 a.m. and my brain's not working. Well, no, thank you. So, and I, I kind of, I like the idea that, um, I hadn't really thought of this, but I like the idea if we dig that deep and say Peter's uh, re relating of what Christmas is to the aliens is sort of all you really need, right? Like, um, we're no longer, well, I was going to say we're no longer serfs working under the overlordship, but that's perhaps too too far a stretch to say. I, I think we might be, but uh, this podcast isn't. Uh, but his sort of what else do we need, right? Do we really need all that other stuff that is essentially um, archaic versus what he Peter, this little boy, has, which is just um, yeah, it's a great time when everybody's happy and nice to each other, and we give each other things. Come look. Like that's such a beautiful moment. And of course, even he is aware enough to every time he shows them something be like, oh, God damn it. Like it, every time, it's just, it, there's, there's this one time when he looks towards the camera and just like rolls his eyes when the alien again says like, is this caring for other people? Like they're genuinely asking. And he's like, he's like, ugh. Like, no, no, hold on, we'll go down the street, I'll find it. Yeah, like just keep, keep coming, you know? Um, and it, it, it was a nice moment. It's a nice thing because everyone else gets all involved. And I thought this was an interesting moment too um, with the grandma where the grandmother is the one that's the kindest, but also clearly the most religious. And it's sort of, it's this weird thing. It makes me think of those people like, especially the older generations where you meet them and there's extreme kindness and then they can say something so insanely racist or, or, or classist that is just their, their, their self-awareness has, and there are younger people like this too, of course, their self-awareness has not breached that, that like wall. Like the kindness stops where their, where their ingrained dogma begins. Um, and I like that Peter doesn't seem to have that. He has no fear of the aliens. Like he's a little like, uh, and they're like, hi. And he's like, he's like, oh, hi. Okay, this is my goose. Um, we also talk Oh, no, wait, hold on. These movies both have the same theme, which is, and it's the same theme in, in a lot of religions too. It's in Buddhism. You know, Buddhism says life is suffering. The world is shit. And both of these movies have a message of you must persevere despite the fact that it's full of shit. The, the, the God of the woods basically said life's shit. And this little kid showed aliens life's shit. But you still have to try and be the best person you can be anyway, because otherwise you're just part of the problem. Yeah, that's an incredibly cynical message, but it does pan out in both cases. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that that really does pan out. Um, I, I wanted to bring it back to just the fact that, can we talk about why his pet is a goose? Um, I, I, I didn't understand that at all. And then I was like, oh, it's Canada. And I still think, I think that might be somehow, uh, not racist, but countryist, because that still seems is like that, a weird thing. Is that even thing. a thing? I mean, there was, there was a person in the crowd with a hockey stick. 
You notice that there was a pitchfork and a hockey stick, and I was just like, mm, "This is Canadian." Why didn't they use that to pull the kid out of the anyway? Um, you know, I I think it's just someone that made this saw the Aristocats and was like, "You know what? Those geese were really funny. Let's just get one of them in. Who cares?" Well, and it is another case too, I think, of them pulling in iconography and maybe not going as deep with it, or it's too deep for me to follow it because, of course, goose was the traditional Christmas feast item. And then you have the wise men and you have these, so you have this sort of this secular uh, tradition of goose, which I'm sure has some sort of roots in, in, in religion, but is mostly at this point, a secular concept. And then you have the religious iconography of the wise men and it's all coming in here. And I will say this, this movie did to me feel like a Christmas movie. Um, part of it is because everyone's dressed for the part. Even the wise men, are, the aliens have, you know, coats and hats. I think they're hats, maybe they're their head. I have no idea. Um, and let's also mention, they're, Greg, I think you said, they're really weird looking. Like when they, they look like people from a distance, but then when they show the close-ups, I'm like, oh, that's like a spider face in like an old man's robe. Like it's just, it, it's, it was sort of out there. And, um, and also, can we talk about the opening where it's like, it's from inside their spaceship. You don't see them. You just see like stars spinning and like a, it looks like a, it looks like an old Wing Commander game. Um, and they're like, uh, you know, like, to Earth. And it's just, uh, it set the tone. Because um, I'll be honest, I picked this movie by the title alone. And then when I dug into it, I was like, oh, this is, this is right. This is perfect. Um, and it is. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed this one. And I, I, I think it's a shame this is not in rotation. But I do wonder if the, I, I, especially in our current situation and our current politics, if the fact that there is actual religious um, terms used in it, like Star of Bethlehem and Jesus, if that instantly takes it off of some rosters, and then the fact that it's a bunch of aliens teaching what Christmas is, in a way, is also takes it off for the other side, and that leaves a very narrow uh, percent of, of um, uh, channels that will ever broadcast this, and uh, and because I, I think the 90s were sort of a wild time. I know this isn't the 90s. I keep thinking this is the 90s because this to me feels like a very 90s production although the visuals are very 70s um and i obviously i was not quite alive in the 70s to the, to the extent that i could uh do it anything kind of grungy at sometimes sure it does and like i said it feels like heavy traffic um in yeah. visuals like and heavy traffic is full of um prostitutes and uh you know transvestites in the 70s turning tricks and uh you know, and I use that term because it's the term they used at, at the, in the in the film, and it's just and and racism and Vietnam vets who've lost their limbs and physical abuse, it's just crazy, um, and that feels like it would feel in place in this movie. Uh, it just almost seems like we just didn't see that stuff. Not that it wouldn't happen. There's also the terrifying scene um, where the Marvin, the bad kid, he's talking about the goose, and he's like, "I want a goose dinner," and he pulls out a switchblade. But then he flicks it and it's a comb. It's a comb. I and, had one of those. And I did too. And it's oh, just, yeah. it just seems like weird. It's menacing. Even though it's a comb, I'm like, oh, this is how they got it in there. But it still feels, it didn't feel like a joke to me. No, um, because this is a because of heavy traffic, I half expected this movie to really take a dark turn. And throughout the entire thing, I was like, I could show my eight-year-old this movie and be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, weird. and that's definitely you know, the case. And it has, and I like the ending. It's nice. And um, 
it's still got some the grunginess like the other thing is that the female character from the ruffian kids when they're all in the house together um and she sits down next to the cop and she goes hey big boy let me see your badge and he hands her his wallet and she takes the badge and she tosses it to marvin who gives it to peter to put on top of the tree but just the fact that this who is clearly a child is acting like, this, this way to the officer go? it's well it's it's even more than that it's like i'm like oh she's really a kid of the streets like it just felt like there is a entire backstory here that is a very ugly uncomfortable one yeah. and it's very it's it's too real to dive into and this moment is too sweet to be spoiled but <laughs> it just seems like uh it, it just I, i'm not exactly sure it felt like Clive Smith made the movie and the writers, there are four writers working on this. feels like the, they made the movie they wanted to make for their reality and what they saw as reality rather than the audience. And that to me is often what makes great cinema, right? Because it's a true vision versus a group consensus. Uh, and, and in this way, I, I really enjoyed this one. Well, I think that brings us up to uh, the end here, where we're going to do a roundtable discussion of who should watch A Cosmic Christmas. Mandy, let's start with you. Who would you recommend A Cosmic Christmas to? Oh, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a pass. It is kind of like, it's, I don't know, it was interesting, but I, like you described the very narrow band of people that might enjoy this. It, it felt like secular like Christmas but there were also the religious overtones um the art was very nostalgic um for like that you know very nostalgic to I love that freaking ape hangers on that kid's bicycle (laughs) yes hell yeah so great pedal chop um (laughs) yeah but um I don't know like it didn't leave like a big impression on me to like go on and tell like hey you gotta go see this this is like you know or like put this on your next christmas party in 2023 when we're allowed to actually have people over again <laughs> right that's that's sad okay yeah. greg who would you recommend a cosmic christmas to and why um you know i i think i'm with mandy i don't know if i would really recommend it to anyone um i mean if you want something kind of wild and short if you wish um don bluth did a christmas short i mean this is this is dark and weird um i just remembered um the scene near the end of the bully and the kid drowning first the bully then the kid trying to him that was terrifying i was like i think this kid's gonna die they look like they're going to die they yeah. did the glassy-eyed look. They're not staring at anything. Their one goes under when the other comes up. Yeah, they look was, terrified. And like, and one of them, they're doing the the thing that they always warn you about is don't be near people yeah. who are drowning because they yeah. try and pull you. Um, but uh, as kind of alternates, as I as I usually try and do, um, I'd say Grandma got run over by a reindeer. It's, <laughs> it's it's equally strange in this kind of a reverent way where it's like vaguely theological. Um, or um, Christmas Carol the movie. I don't know why they needed to call it that, but it's like a 2001 British Christmas Carol adaptation that's animated. Um, has my my shining light Nicolas Cage in it as uh, Jacob Marley, I believe. Um, so yeah, those are my two wrecks. Marley and Marley. <laughs> oh, of, of course, I gotta say, 
one of the all-time best Christmas movies of all time when we watched oh, it. A Muppet Christmas Carol. A Muppet Christmas Carol. It is, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you believe in. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care if you're a space alien uh, <laughs> or the devil. You will enjoy A Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, <clears throat> Tad, who will you recommend A Christmas Carol to? I mean, Everyone. excuse me, you, you throw me off. Who are you going to recommend A Cosmic Christmas to? <laughs> Everyone should watch this movie, especially if you have kids. Sit down and watch this with your kids, which I'm going to. I'm going to have my child sit down and watch this with us. And he's just going to go, Dad, what is this movie? I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy that reaction because it's one, you can totally sit down with your kids and have them watch this movie and they'll just be like, what is this? Because it's, it's totally safe. They will miss all the innuendo. They will miss all the weird stuff. And they'll just go... It's a Christmas movie. Daddy's weird. True. But they will yeah. bring to uh, school the next day that Jesus Christ is a space alien, and then you'll get a very interesting call. My wife's been watching Ancient Aliens anyway recently. Okay. Fun, and it's it. This is this is just perfect because I mean the last episode was the founding fathers totally knew about space aliens. I'm like, okay, please explain. Where do you think Washington got the technology for wooden teeth? So oh, it was, that's actually not too far off. It was literally like, where did uh, George Washington get the inspiration to stay at Valley Forge through the most hellish conditions ever? And it was apparently aliens. Yeah, we've lived in New Hampshire. Like that's pretty much par for the course. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, for my recommendation, I, I completely understand both Greg and Mandy's and your recommendation, Tad, because I do think this falls into a very narrow bandwidth of, of interest for people. I happen to be clearly dead center targeted by this film. I adored this film. Um, I think Greg was right when he said people who like Don Bluth movies, and we're talking, um, of course, my brain's Rock a Doodle. Yes. Um, and yes. Uh, Fern Gully. Uh, these movies like these movies where they're the kids movies that many of us remember but when you watch them as an adult they take Ooh. a very different tone and sort of a vibe and you're halfway between what the hell are they doing and the other half is I can't believe they're doing that um, that kind of thing it's right in line with there and also of course because I've mentioned heavy traffic a hundred times and Ralph Bakshi films are truly some of the greatest animated films to have ever come from the United States uh, I, I recommend it. If you have those interests, watch this because it's an oddity that I think because it's a short and not a feature, it's been lost more easily. Um, and, uh, and, and if you can find a copy of Nova Animation, uh, the, the compilation it was in from 1980, absolutely worth it. Give it a watch. Um, and you can actually, I did check, you can find Cosmic Christmas currently. Uh, I believe it's actually a, a, a licensed stream of it on YouTube, although time will tell. Uh, yeah, check out A Cosmic Christmas. If it's not your thing, it's only a 20-something minutes of your life. And if it is, you're going to have something that you're going to think of every single Christmas year. All right. Uh, that is it for us here at Colton Classic Podcast. Playing us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. And as always, please, please, please follow us at Colton Classic Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast For as little as a dollar a month, you can get awesome swag. Uh, we have autographed trading cards every month, physical trading cards, zines, um, bonus videos. Uh, you can watch videos of all of us. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Like and subscribe. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.